Welcome to Backstage at the Enharmonic. I'm your host, Sean J. Kennedy. Today's guest is Mark Ament. In this episode, Mark tells how he started his musical life as a self-trained drummer and following his dream to become a leader in the music industry. I hope you enjoy this episode of Backstage at the Enharmonic. Hey, Mark, this is Sean Kennedy. Are you there? Sean, how are you? I'm doing well. Yes, I am here. Excellent. Great. Thanks for taking some time to be on the podcast. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. I'm flattered that you would ask. So uh, I'm looking forward to this. Thanks. What is your earliest memory of music, and what impact did it have on you? Earliest memory of music was, frankly, from my uh, growing up in Northeast Philadelphia, uh, where I had an older brother and sister that were heavily into Motown um, and eventually into the Beatles. So there was music around the house because of them. Uh, my father also did a lot of things uh, at the uh, the local grade school. And uh, while he was not a musician, he loved to sing. And um, those were probably the earliest memories. And I, I remember basically uh, hearing all this music in the house um, realizing, you know, what an impact it had on me and started to find a way to get involved in that music and uh, actually began playing drums at the age of six. And was that informally? Did you happen to have a drum set around the house or did you ask mom and dad to get you a drum set? You know, I asked them to get me a drum set um, and they what they did was they got me a snare drum. And I had a cousin uh, who was a drummer that played in a couple of uh, uh, music combos around the, the city. And uh, he gave me a really, really old cymbal. Uh, and I remember putting the cymbal on a table and having the snare drum and playing along to records. And that's how I started. So there was, there was that, plus there was really no formal training. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the funny part of it was when I... Uh, wanted to sign up and and play at school, uh, they said, oh, we, we have too many drummers. Uh, you're going to be a trumpet player. <laughs> wow. And, and I, yeah, and I, I did not want to be a trumpet player. So uh, I wanted to play drums. So I kind of shied away from that. And I actually never had formal training until uh, after high school. On anything, you mean? On any instrument at all? Nothing. No, no. And, and, wow. and basically taught myself how to play several instruments uh, after that. Um, and the formal, the more formal lessons actually came in maybe about 20 years ago. So, you know, for, for 30 some years, I, I never took a lesson, but I, I had a lot of books. I did a lot of reading. Um, I studied, you know, a lot of different, you know, techniques. Uh, and it wasn't until I really started to play upright bass that I realized that I, I had to have, uh, more of a formal training, not only for the mechanics of playing the upright bass, but because I was learning so much on my own, I began to realize what I didn't know. And uh, mm -hmm. it's one of those funny things. And you know this. I mean, you're you're one of these guys that's always looking for some way to uh, to learn more. And when you do learn more and you get better at your your craft and your instrument, um, you be you become humbled by how much you don't know. <laughs> And that was the case exactly. with me, for sure. I think you learned skills that guys who had formal training haven't. 
So it's just like, what, where are you going to start? You're going to do self-training or go technique-wise. And a lot of guys that have technique can't play by ear. So it's just, it's just, it's interesting to me how different people get into the business and start playing, whether it's formal lessons every week with a teacher or your teachers, your teachers were actually Motown artists, I guess, <laughs> uh, listening yeah. to records. Yeah. 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 You mentioned your family, your siblings. Did they continue with music themselves? No, you know, nobody else in the family played. Um, only my cousin, uh, who was a drummer, uh, he was the only musician that I knew in, in in the family. Now, what's interesting is that on my mother's side of the family, I had cousins that were my age that played. I had, I had one cousin, Danny Kelly, uh, who was a, a, an excellent guitar player, and when he would come over during holidays, you know, we would play in the basement. I'd sit there with a the snare drum and he'd have his guitar. And, you know, we played, you know, some Motown tunes. We played some Beatle tunes and things like that. Um, and I began to actually really, I guess, formulate a style uh, based on those kinds of tunes. You know, later on when I when I got my first drum kit, which I remember it was a I think it was made out of cardboard, to be honest with you, um, <laughs> with plastic rims. But um, that's where I actually learned how to tune the drums, which I found to be very valuable uh, later on. Uh, of course, uh, over time, I was bending the plastic rims. But, um, you know, it, it, it kind of blossomed from there. And, you know, as as a percussionist yourself, although... Uh, the, the 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 hidden secret behind Sean Kennedy is that Sean, uh, you were you were a piano player before uh, playing mm-hmm. drums, and and you have that background which is invaluable. Um, you know, I kind of did it the other way. I started to understand a little bit of music theory after I was playing drums for a while, um, but you know, managed to be able to fit all that stuff in. So, uh, you know, this without any real prodding um, or uh, you know, I guess people to look up to in my family specifically, um, you know, as musicians. Uh, but I, I am very thankful that my parents realized that I, I love this and I had a passion for it and they supported it. And that that's a big piece of this is having that, that support mechanism, um, whether it be family, friends or whatever. You know, you have to be um, persuaded to continue your passion. And that's really important. Oh, exactly. Especially... I find, you know, from my personal story, from having hundreds of students over the years, it's um, the arts. You really need that foundation because a lot of times when kids even have an inkling of going into the arts, um, you know, the parents and the relatives and the family friends around, just having that positive voice going, yeah, you should keep trying it, keep doing it. That is so valuable because I don't think in most other career paths we need that. Like if someone said, I'm going to be a doctor, uh, I don't think you'd have many people going, oh, don't go into that. You know, But if you're like, oh, I want to yeah. be a musician, you know, it's always like, oh, really? Is that a wise choice? And just that one voice saying, I think you can do it, it's so invaluable for young people. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and it's so easy to be dissuaded. It's mm-hmm. also very challenging. I, I, You know, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm in the middle of, of reading the uh, the Bruce Springsteen autobiography. And I see so many parallels with him and and how he grew up. And he did a similar thing to to what I did when I was younger. When I first decided that, okay, I love playing the drums, but I want to learn how to play the guitar. I remember the first guitar I had, it was so frustrating, I just put it away. And that was the same thing he did. He he gave it up. He said, that's it, I'm I'm not even going to do it because it was so frustrating. 
but then later on you you get inspired by somebody or somebody you know edges you on or eggs you on and and you decide you know what i'm gonna really i'm gonna hunker down i'm gonna learn how to do this and you know that that inspiration you know coupled with the the failure and the belief in yourself that you're able to do something is really a good foundation in any kind of you know, personality of, of, you know, uh, a young person, older person, whatever, you know, adversity is one of those things that we're going to face all our lives. If everybody tells us we can't do something, we're never going to do anything. The fact of the matter is that you have to drive yourself and, and challenge yourself and you're going to fail, uh, but you're also going to win. Uh, and that, that's, that's pretty important. Oh yeah, definitely. Just showing up and sticking with it is probably the fundamental thing to success in any career. Uh, you just have to keep yeah. keeping on, you know? Yeah. Um, so when I first met you, uh, I knew you as Mark Ammon, the bass player. So most mm-hmm. of the interview so far has been about drums. And now, of course, I've known you for a long time. I knew you played drums. But when did you become Mark Ammon, the bass player? Like, what was the transition from drums to you really uh, pursuing bass full time? Well, in between that, I played guitar for about 15, 20 years. And... Mm-hmm. um I played uh, in, a, in a lot of different bands. Uh, one band, I lived on South Street in Philadelphia for a while, which, you know, at that time in the in the 80s uh, was a, a pretty fertile ground for some great uh, original music. And um played in a band called The Cousins and actually fronted the band, played guitar, uh, sang, fronted the band, and did that for a bunch of years. And I was an okay guitar player. I, you know, I could play rhythm, no, no problem. You know, solos were kind of interesting. Again, being self-taught, uh, I was utilizing my ear. Uh, I would do a lot of, you know, chord shapes in my solos and things like that. Um, but uh, how I got into bass is kind of a funny story. I, uh, a buddy of mine calls me up. He said, hey, listen, you know, got us a gig. Here's the date. Are you available? I said, yeah, no problem. I said, what kind of gig is it? He said, well, it's country-western. And I'm like, you know, I'm not a big fan of country music. He said, no, 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 it's easy. It's real easy, man. There's charts. Everything's written out. It's fine. You'll be fine. Like, okay. Uh, A week and a half before the gig, he calls me up, and he said, you know, I forgot to ask you, do you own a bass? (laughs) And I said, well, well, I I mean, I I have a bass. It's like missing a pickup, and I use it to record, you know, like to to throw down ideas and stuff. I said, "Why, why? Why are you asking me? He said, well, you're playing bass on this gig. And I said, I don't play bass. And he said, you do now. <laughs> and that's how it started. And wow. I remember my my wife being very supportive. She said to me, she said, you know, you don't have an amp. You don't have anything. And I said, well, I can borrow an amp. She said, but that bass, is it going to be okay? And I said, well, it's not the greatest bass. So she let me go out, and I, I bought a, a 62 Fender Jazz reissue, which I still have. And uh, I remember doing the gig, and I borrowed a, a Sun amp. Um, I guess it was like four tens and, and, a, and a head, all tube head, weighed a ton. And I remember playing, and I thought, man, this is awesome. It took me right back to playing the drums, which, you know, you have that foundation in you, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a driving thing. You know, when you, when you can get back to that, um, you know, it's it's very rewarding. And I thought after that, I said, okay, that's it. I'm playing bass. And and for years, I still got calls to play guitar, and I turned them down. I just you know just wanted to play bass, and it it kind of took off from there. It, it was such a connection between the drums and the bass, and I could I could see and realize that that I uh, I, I decided to really you know go full hog in the bass. 
So, you know, 25, 30 years later, <laughs> here we are. And it's it's funny that you mentioned the connection between drums and bass because a lot of bass players I know are ex-drummers. Um, like Will Lee, you know, the legendary Will Lee. He started as a surf rock drummer, and then he went yeah. over to bass. Speaking of basses, I've been to your house a number of times, and you, you said back, you know, your wife said, you know, go get a bass. Uh, could you just tell the listeners how many basses you have in your house now? <laughs> well, okay, so let me frame this by, by, by <laughs> saying this. Um, I'm left-handed. So when you're left-handed, the options are slim. Uh, there's not a lot of instruments that you can find, let alone, you know, instruments that you would love to have. So as an example, as a guitar player, I've never played a Les Paul because a left-handed Les Paul is very difficult to come by. So I always played Fender guitars, um, mm. among others, uh, Ibanez, you know, but because uh, they, they were friendly uh, to left-handed players. So uh, currently in, in the arsenal, uh, and I've actually, believe it or not, sold a couple, I have 32 bases, 32. Wow. And is that a mix of electric and uprights? I have three acoustic uprights, uh, one which I'll probably sell because I, I don't need three for sure. Um, and I have uh, two electric upright bases, um, uh, one that I use fairly regularly. Uh, and the rest are a combination of, you know, four or five, six string bases, some fretted, some fretless. Um, if I, you know, because I work in the industry, it's, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I, I have opportunities to see these bases and also, you know, purchase them. Um, uh, and some of them are, are sort of rare, and I'll never see another bass like it again. So that's why I'm reluctant to sell some of them. Right. But the other thing, the other thing that ended up happening is, and you'll appreciate this because you've done a lot of studio stuff. Um, when I was doing, and I don't do that much of it anymore, but when I was doing some studio work, you know, you get hired by a client, you go to the, the recording studio, and they have a, a song in mind, and I would bring six or seven basses. And I would ask them questions. I'd say, so tell, tell me what you heard in, you head, in your head when you wrote this song. What were you thinking of? And they would always refer to either an artist or a specific song. And out of one of those six or seven bases that I brought, it was typically one of those bases that was actually on that record. And I would pull that right. out and I'd say, so you're, you're looking for this. And I'd play and they're like, yeah, that's it exactly. So... You know, that was a benefit of having all those bases as well. I realized, you know, how different, you know, the sounds are, um, which, you know, you know, it's interesting to me. You know, you, you look at people like, like Jocko. Jocko has a sound in his fingers. Ray Brown had the sound in his fingers. They can make any bass sound like them. You've played with artists that I've played with, and I've been in charge of booking the band, so I hired you for bass. And uh, I don't even know if I've told you this in person, but on a number of occasions, the artist wants to come back and do the same type of presentation. And they said, who's going to be in the band? And I said, well, you know, maybe I can get some of the same guys. And on more than one occasion, they've said, can you get lefty on bass? So my question to you is, being a left-handed bass player, has it been a hindrance or a help or neither for you as a professional musician? You know, neither, because I didn't know any better. Uh, you know, it, it, it's so funny, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss, you know, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, people, um, uh, being supportive. Um, nobody ever told me that I couldn't play left-handed. That's pretty important. 
Um, mm-hmm. Went to 12 years of Catholic school, and they, they, they joke about, you know, being, you know, writing left-handed, and, you, you know, they hit you on the knuckles with a ruler. That never mm-hmm. happened to me. I, you know, I, I wrote left-handed, although oddly enough, I'm ambidextrous. I, I, I eat with either hand. I throw with my right hand. I play golf right-handed. Um, but I write left-handed and uh, I play instruments left-handed. Even my drum set, my first drum set, which I still have, um, instead of 58 Slingerlands, um, they were, I, I modified them to be left-handed. So it really has not been a hindrance where it becomes a hindrance, which is kind of funny is that sometimes if I, if I, there was one person in particular, I won't name names, but I I wanted to study with him and he said, I can't teach you. You're left-handed. And I hmm. said, what do you mean? He said, well, everything is backwards. I said, well, really, no, it's not. It's like you looking in the mirror. And mm-hmm. didn't ended up not studying with that person, which is okay, but it was just too foreign for them. And I think they were more classically trained. That's why it was, you know, uh, kind mm-hmm. of a problem for them. Uh, but the other thing that I, that I found interesting where, you know, it could be a hindrance, but it's also kind of fun. Um, it's not uncommon for me to, to go to a club, see a band play, and they want me to sit in. Now, you know, I, I, I never presume and I would never walk in with my axe to, to to watch another band play, you know, because that's just not mm-hmm. cool sometimes to do that. So I'm forced to play a right-handed bass upside down. And mm-hmm. um, uh, whether it be a jazz, I mean, at one point I actually did a jazz, you know, it was on a jazz gig, I played an upright upside down, which was very challenging. But um, it makes you think about the instrument and it makes you very selective in the notes that you're going to play because you literally have to think about every note. And um, so nothing comes real natural. It's upside down. You know, um, even though I'm left-handed, I string my bass the, the traditional way, you know, with the uh, the lower tone string EADG, you know, uh, closer to me, um, not upside down. So um, that's always been interesting. That's where it's been somewhat of a hindrance. The only other thing is that I was told <laughs> by an upright player that I would never be invited to play in any kind of orchestra because I'm left-handed. And I said, well, why is that? He said, because you'd be stabbing everybody with your bow, <laughs> which I never thought about. I'm like, oh, I guess so, because everybody's right-handed. They're going a certain direction. I'd be, you know, stabbing them with my bow because I'm bowing with my left hand. So Put you on the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're one of the busiest musicians I know who plays all the time. However, you have a full-time job in the music industry as well. So could you give us a little bit of the bridge between you being a hobby musician as a teenager, starting to become a professional musician, going to college, getting out? How did you become such a, um, what's the word, a bigwig in the music industry? I guess that's the best way I can (laughs) say it. Yeah, I, you know, well, the way my hair is falling out, soon I'll need a wig, so that kind of wig fits, <laughs> but I don't know about big wig, but but thank you. I, You know, I, I, I it's funny, I, when I played, and I obviously started playing at an early age, uh, I didn't realize, uh, frankly, I was naive, you know, I didn't realize that I could have gone to school for music. Now, there would have been a process, obviously, to, to do that and, and, you know, to get into college and play music, and I didn't do that, I didn't take that route. Um, but I still played all through college. And I remember vividly actually playing at places, gosh, down in Kensington and all that, you know, gigs Wednesday through Saturday and going to school the next morning. You know, that that's that's part of how I, I paid for some of my, my college. Um, but I always had that, that music background. I always wanted to do something with music or in music. And once I got out of college, I, I didn't follow any kind of, you know, musical path. I still played, but I didn't do anything in the music industry. Um, 
it wasn't until a bunch of years later, uh, and actually 17 or so years ago, where um, uh, my wife and I were talking about it, and I said, you know, I, I don't love my job. Um, I worked in the pharmaceutical and publishing industries for a long time, and, um, you know, uh, great great place to work, you know, great place to be. Uh, money was great. Opportunities were great. But I didn't love it. Just didn't love it. And at the time, my wife had gone back to school to become a teacher. And in the middle of that, she, she got her master's degree. Um, uh, we had our first daughter was born. Uh, she graduated with a 4.0, uh, landed a job as a teacher in a local school, got a contract, which was unheard of at the time. And and it was inspiring to watch her do that. We supported each other. We ate hot dogs for about two years while she was doing that. <laughs> Uh, right. But, you know, that that was something she wanted to do. That was the passion. So when I said to her, I don't love my job, she said, well, why don't you find something in the music industry? So, you know, you have that kind of support. Uh, I ended up going to the, the, the NAMM show 17 years ago, the summer NAMM show, actually. Uh, a buddy of mine, um, Paul Specht, who has since passed away, worked for Ibanez, Hoshino, um, in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, and got me a visitor badge. I remember going there with 300, 300 resumes, uh, three of my best suits, stayed at the seediest hotel I ever stayed in in my life. <laughs> and I remember uh, he gave me some pointers. Uh, what I did was I, I, there was a, a, evidently a hot spot where everybody had breakfast before the show opened. So this this was like, you know, after work on a Friday, I fly down there Friday night, Saturday morning. I'm in this place, and I'm looking at all the name tags, and I'm writing names down. <laughs> So I go and I seek these people out. And I, I, I told my story and I said, listen, you know, I'm, I'm interested in doing something in the industry. Can I give you a resume? Uh, I mean, this this will kind of, you know, give you an idea of the, the time frame of this. This is before cell phones. Uh, I actually carried a pager with me. And on the, the on the resume was my pager number. And I said, if you want to meet with me, you know, page me with your booth number and I'll, I'll come by, you know, immediately. And I did that for a couple of days. I did it again you know, Saturday, Sunday. And um, had a couple of interviews, actually, with a couple of companies. And one one company sort of, you know, made a, a pitch for a job. You know, there was more that would have to be done. I'd have to go through a process. But they, they had an idea for me for an opening. Uh, but it was moving to an area of the country that I was not really that, that interested in. So a couple months later, um, I get a call, and I find a position with a, an organization called uh, the Alliance of Independent Music Merchants, and uh, uh, started working uh, with them. Now, the interesting thing about the music business and, and being a musician and working in the music business is that there's that common thread. Um, common thread is music. We all have this passion and this love for music. So I remember vividly being on a gig and playing on stage and literally looking down at the floor and giggling because here I am playing music, and I just landed a job in the music industry. And I thought, talk about having your cake and eat it, too. And, you know, that was 17 years ago. I was at, at AIM, the Alliance of Independent Music Merchants, for 10 years. And then, uh, you know, I've been with uh, Casio America uh, now for a little, little over six years. And I have to tell you, I love my job. Um, I'm doing stuff in the music industry. Uh, we're helping to create more musicians. Um, deeply involved with education, with house of worship, you know, running the music dealer and piano dealer channels in the United States for Casio. And uh, it's a very rewarding job. But but here's the interesting twist. 
you know, we talked earlier about, you know, support and um, people giving you encouragement. Um, Casio is, is one of the few companies that I've worked with in my entire life where um, the management team, um, my coworkers, there's a, a wonderful level of support. So part of that support includes, you know, uh, me continuing to play music. So it's it's encouraged. You know, obviously it doesn't get in the way of my job, and in many ways uh, it enhances it because when I go and I speak to a a, a school, um, you know, I'll find that that some of the people that that teach at the school, I, I play in big bands with them. You know, on the weekends, um, some of these band directors, uh, or you know, I'll go to a gig and there's a you know um, uh, somebody that works at XYZ Music Store. So when I go and I visit these stores or when I go and I talk to these educators, they all know that I play. So it's not like I'm some suit walking in saying, hey, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Uh, it has more impact. And, and you know, I, I have to keep playing just to keep that kind of credibility. At the same time, um, you know, I, I, I still love to play. I always love it. Um, you know, I, like you mentioned earlier, I, I do quite a few gigs, and I, I'm very, very fortunate. I get a lot of calls, and uh, and it's for a lot of different things, too. Uh, it could be big band. It could be soul and R&B. It could be rock. It could be anything, you know, singer-songwriter stuff. Um, but I love it. And, you know, for the same reasons that you do it, Sean, you know, we have that passion. So when you have that passion and you're passionate about music, if you can find passion uh, in your 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 day gig as well, man, what a great combination! I mean, look look at what you do as an example. And I know you're 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 interviewing me, but you know if 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 not everybody knows who Sean Kennedy is, they should know because uh, you're probably one of the more remarkable people that I've met in the industry for a lot of different reasons. And um, you have a passion and you have a drive. So you talk about the things that, that you know, um, that I may be doing and, and, and having, you know, my cake and eat it too and, and, you know, burning the candle at both ends in the middle. You do the same thing, but you do it for the same reasons I do. You know, you're passionate. And that that's a hard thing to find. Think about, you know, anybody and everybody who goes to work every day without passion. How sad is that? <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we're lucky people, man. That's right. A lot of my listeners are probably young. Do you have any advice for them if they are interested in getting into performing as a musician, uh, getting in the music industry? Um, one thing I would say is always follow your dream. Um, follow your dream, follow your passion. Uh, but be intelligent about it as well. Understand what you need to do to, to fulfill that dream and, and to fulfill that passion. That would be the one thing. Uh, the other thing is that... Um, be creative uh, with, you know, your opportunities. Um, if you sat down right now and put pen to paper and wrote down how much money you would make annually just by playing music, uh, it's a frightening number that would pop up uh, because it's typically not enough to have a uh, or to make a decent living. You know, certainly if you want to support a family, if, if you're, you know, going that route later, later in life. But there are other opportunities and you should explore them. So being creative with other opportunities means looking at things like um, like I do, work in the music products industry, uh, work in a music store. Uh, you have to be able to, to be self-sufficient and be able to make a living so you can support yourself, so you can feed yourself, and eventually, if you need to, feed your family. But there's more than just playing in the industry. Uh, there could be studio work. Uh, there could be 
um, teaching. There could be a lot of different things that you could do. I mean, I'm a good example, you know, uh, of someone that, that tried to figure out a way to have their cake and eat it too. I wanted to still play music, and I still wanted to make a living to support my family. And there is a way to do that. You can do that. But you have to be driven, and you have to be disciplined um, to to be able to, to do that effectively. But it can be done. Excellent. Perfect. And you're a great example of that. And I uh, hope my listeners, you know, get to come see you play sometime or check you out. I know you've been interviewed by NAM, and you're on their website, and uh, you're always available for questions. So what I'll do... Uh, when I post this podcast, is put uh, maybe I'll put uh, some contact info for you, and if folks have Absolutely. questions, they can follow up. With, yeah, they can follow up with you about anything that we talked about. Uh, as always, thank you for being a great friend. Thank you for your support with everything that I do, and for being a great role model for uh, young people going into the music industry. Well, thank you, and I I appreciate the opportunity, and you know. The passion thing is important, as you know. You know, both of my daughters are following their passion, and and we support that. And they're, obviously, it's in the arts. Um, so follow your passion because you don't want to wake up someday with regrets. Mark, thanks again for taking the time to be on the podcast, and I hope to see you soon. Yep, thanks, Sean. I appreciate the opportunity. Take care. Bye bye. Today's soundtrack was provided by Ramblin' Ant and the Locust Street Band, in which Mark Ammon is the bass player. The recording is available on iTunes, Amazon, and all other music retailers online. For more about Mark Ammon, please visit the links below this podcast. And thanks for listening.